Dead Headspace. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which includes Alexa. All you have to do is tell Alexa to play Dead Headspace for the latest episode every Monday and Thursday. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my favorite co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hey, everybody. And today we're talking to writer and professor Ron. That was very Boston of me. I'm sorry. That came out of nowhere. Writer and professor Rhonda Jackson Garcia, writing as R.J. Joseph, and also Rhonda Jackson Joseph. How is it going? It's going great. <laughs> that sounded not good. Yeah, well, I'm still I'm still sitting here thinking about how I started laughing when you asked me if there was something that I didn't want to talk about. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know. I live with like a whole bunch of teenagers and like nothing's off limits. So I've never really had anybody ask me that question before. Um, <laughs> it caught me off guard. Yeah, well, I'm, you know what? I should probably message people about that ahead of time uh, because... You just never know. And uh, as the guy that produces this show and is one of the hosts, I want people to be comfortable. Well, sure. It's a mouthful saying uh, R.J. Joseph and Rhonda Jackson Joseph. You say that enough times in a row, I'm going to get tongue-tied. So why the two names? Well, because um, I'm old. And (laughs) when I first started writing – when I first started writing and publishing uh, widely, I actually was first published in Romance. Oh. And yeah, and so that was my thesis uh, project at, at Seton Hill was a romance novel. And so I'm, I'm out there under Rhonda Jackson Joseph, you know, a little bit as Rhonda Jackson before I got married the first time. Uh, and then I actually kind of came out as, uh, you know, a uh, an undercover horror writer. And I realized that I didn't want somebody trying to pick up this romance stuff, thinking that it was going to be anything like the horror stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, and plus, I'm, I mean, I'm a chick. And honestly, like, I hang around horror people well enough to know that when I first started writing horror, nobody wanted to read anything by chicks. And so I thought, use the initials. They'll never know. Right? Mm. They'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, that's kind of how they came about, really just writing in two different genres, understanding that one genre would probably be uh, a little more open to initials as opposed to just this whole big, you know, fancy country, long ghetto name, you know? <laughs> I So the only female that comes immediately to mind that her reasons of – I don't know if it was her or her publisher or if she had an agent. I'm not sure. But uh, Joe Rowland, J.K. Rowland, uh, mm-hmm. was Joe Rowland, Joanne. I know that she changed it uh, to the initials for that same reason, too. That's interesting. So mm-hmm. did you start in the 90s or was it before that? Oh, my gosh. OK, so technically I started in romance um, late 80s. Like I made my first romance sale when I was about 17. Uh, you know, those romance confession mags. Um and mm-hmm. so I didn't publish my first horror story, though, until maybe uh, early 90s-ish. Um, but I, I spent a lot of years kind of not necessarily pretending that I wasn't a horror writer, but not not understanding how I could actually embrace that whole thing. That's interesting. Brennan, uh, I got so many questions about that, but I, I, want, I, I can feel you have some. <laughs> yeah, too, so no, I want to follow up on a couple of things like that. Um, I mean, I know we've talked about countless times on the shows uh, on the show 
despite the fact that we we neither one of us was necessarily into horror in the early 90s because we were you know like seven um <laughs> we we it, it seems like such a desolate landscape so i can totally understand your you know uh hesitance to embrace the horror scene in when it wasn't really um uh blossoming i guess when it wasn't super lively um i'm actually more curious about the um the the initials the way you one reason you decided to use them was because women horror writers don't sell as easily so the initials kind of gives that almost impression of look at the story, look at the, look at the cover, look at the synopsis. Don't, don't look at, you know, this is John, this is Mike or whatever. Right. Is that something that, did, is that something that you, you could have cared less about or did that make you mad that you kind of had to go through that line? Oh, it infuriated me. Um, I mean, for lots of reasons, like, first of all, uh, you know, I'm, I'm black. I don't know, because y'all can see me like I am. I'm black. <laughs> For all audio and, listeners, Rhonda is a, a black woman. Yes, I am a black woman. <laughs> and so that that in itself presented all these challenges um, because I am uh, quite a bit older than you guys. And so, you know, I started reading hard. Well, I started reading hard way too early. But, uh, you know, so I, I read Stephen King. I mean, I was first introduced Stephen King, uh, Peter Straub, um, you know, uh, Dean Coates and uh, John Saul. I mean, it's so, you know, I'm, I'm just devouring all this stuff, but I'm not seeing anybody writing her that's a woman. Um, uh, Octavia Butler's works uh, weren't widely advertised. Uh, I mean, again, a kid of the 70s and the 80s, like the internet wasn't anything like it is. I mean, it's barely in its infancy. So I didn't see anybody who was doing these things like me. They didn't have women's names. They didn't have black names. They didn't have black faces. And so I just kind of, I was so infuriated. And so I just kind of wrote, I devoured the horror anyway, because you take what you can get. And this, some of this stuff was really good. Um, it took me years of reading. Uh, I won't call the, the author out. Uh, it's not Stephen King, though. Uh, but one of those writers, I realized as I got older that, that they just kind of kept writing the same book over and over again. <laughs> and yet I devoured every one. Um, you know, so some of this stuff was really, really good. Um, I learned so much from it. I thoroughly enjoyed it um, as a lifelong horror uh, fan. It, it was good to to have something. Um but I realized that if I was going to really write and really publish that way, that I was going to have to try to figure out a way around some of those obstacles that were just there. Like, mm. you know, like why they, for whatever reason, I mean, well, we know some of the reasons, but like any obstacles I had to try to figure out how to get around them. So it was quite infuriating, but that's exactly what I was going for. Uh, Brennan was the whole, before you judge this, just read the story. Like read the story first and and then think about it, you know, um, if you just have to know who wrote it. OK, fine. Think about that then. But but I did want the, the first introduction to be the story instead of, you know, who is this person that did this? Now, with the with the horror scene, the way it looks now, where I mean, some of my absolute favorite writers are, you know, I, I think if I had to name make a top 10 list of my absolute favorite indie horror writers right now. I'm probably going like at least 60, 40 women. There's just some really, really talented people out there. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, would you, if you were getting started now, would you make the same decision? Would it even cross your mind? Well, if I were getting started now, 
um, there's a lot of stuff that has happened. Like, first of all, you can't really hide uh, you know, the way that we could back then. Um, people find you. They they will find pictures of you. I remember that um, this erotica writer, Zane, she hid her identity for years. Like nobody knew who she was, where she came from, anything like that. And then all of a sudden she pops up and she looks like this suburban housewife soccer mom person. But we used to be able to do that in the 90s or so, you know. But now I don't think I would even think about it because even now, like we are, I I actually link the names all together now because it's, you're going to find me anyway. So, (laughs) um, But even if it weren't for that, I I do think that the genre is, has embraced women. better as a whole. Um, and so I probably wouldn't, oh, except for the other genre thing. Um, had I been published in horror first, I guess I could see this might've been reversed a little bit. Um, I would have had to come up with a different pen name for romance, but other than that, I probably wouldn't have thought about it as much now. In the that's same, a, oh, sorry, Brandon, go ahead. I, I, no, that's okay. I'll throw it to you in a second, but uh, I just was going to say, that's a really good point about the whole social media uh, aspect of it. I didn't, I didn't consider that, but you're right. There is, you know, you've got to put up some sort of like avatar, some sort of profile picture. You're not hiding unless you, you know, pull something off of Google and then you're probably going to get found out anyway. <laughs> exactly. Out to you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Go, uh, reverse picture search. Uh, it's kind of hard to escape now, but mm-hmm. I, I was the first thing when you said that you, you used, um, your initials. Uh, I had a few questions pop in my head and it's not just for you. It's for anyone that were to use a pseudonym or something else. And uh, I mean, we're all Stephen King fans. I, th- I think it's fair to say most horror fans are um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he was Richard Bachman, when I first heard about him, because uh, I was talking to a guy I worked with at an older job and he said, you ever read Richard Bachman? It's uh, S- Stephen King. But it's all his – and this is his words. He's like, oh, it's all his, like, hardcore stuff. And I'm like, oh, really? He used a name just for that? That's weird. Later, I come to find out Richard Bachman was just the name he used. So uh, he could have more books out in the same year as Stephen King because back then they didn't want to oversaturate one name because they thought that that would take away from book sales. But I know that he used – I think it was a car salesman guy. Uh, Maybe you both, one of you know, but I believe the picture was, I want to say a car salesman. It wasn't him. And um, I'm curious, did you have a bio picture or a author photo in the back cover or anywhere? Well, so I write mostly short stories in horror. And so the good thing about that is if you're submitting, you know, you're in an anthology, nobody really cares about your picture. So you don't have to do that. (laughs) Uh, Writing the romance. Yeah, I kind of I had pictures there. But I mean, of course, it's totally acceptable. It's totally acceptable for a woman to write romance. I mean, even if she's a black woman, like, you know, I'm here in the South. I was raised Southern Baptist. You know, I kind of there was a little bit of pearl clutching when I wanted to write romance, but not as much as what I talked about writing horror. Right. So. yeah, I mean, I had a picture. I would have pictures for any of the romance that was, you know, where it was applicable. But, I mean, like I said, as far as horror writing, you know, there were many years went by before I even had to kind of cop to that little picture. <laughs> okay, wow, that that makes sense. Um, now, before we jump into the horror aspect, romance is that has that always been? Because I've, you know, me and Brennan have read quite a few stuff by you, interviews and essays and poetry and all that stuff that he sent. But um, 
I am curious. I I didn't see this. I don't know if Brennan did. Did you always have a love for the romance genre as you do with horror? I have, but it's a different type of love. Okay. So, and so, and I have to look back to my childhood. So I grew up in this house uh, where we were, you know, pretty poor. I think I said this recently on Twitter. We, we were poor, but my parents were big readers. And so we always had books everywhere, books, magazines, comic books. So my mother was a big romance reader. So uh, back at that time, there were the the uh, romance confession magazines. Right. And they were relatively, uh, you know, affordable, I guess, as far as books go. So she had a whole she had tons of those, a few of the Harlequin novels. Uh, my dad had just, you know, blue gobs of uh, horror comic books and uh, horror and sci fi novels just everywhere around the house. And so what happened was. My parents decided, well, this romance is just not, it's not okay for the kids to read, right? Because I read everything I could just, you know, <laughs> if I could get it, I would read it. And so they hid all mama's books, but they just never thought to put his books away. And so, you know, what was actually available was like Stephen King's Carrie, right? And yeah. and the John Saul book and all of this stuff. And so, um, so I was exposed to the horror earlier. Um, and, and I connected with it in ways that I just don't know that you can connect with romance until you get to be an angsty teen, right? <laughs> and so once I got to the teenage years, I sort of still devoured the horror, but my creation was more towards romance because, of course, I was in love with New Edition. And so, you know, you write fan fiction where, you know, you get to date them and all of this stuff. Um <laughs> You know, so once I wasn't a teenager anymore, though, like horror is kind of always there. So mm. I think they sort of fill different needs. Uh, and when I decided that I was going to go into an MFA program, um, it just never occurred to me that I could go in as a horror writer. It really did. Uh, so there was never any question that I was not going to go in and apply as a romance writer. Hmm. That's that's really interesting how you kind of grew up surrounded by it. And I mean, obviously, you eventually got to that calling. But um, <laughs> I, I want to talk real quick about the, the books that you kind of grew up around, because obviously we, we, you know, hear a lot. You know, I grew up on Stephen King. I grew up on Dean Koontz. One name that you threw out that I, we don't hear a lot is John Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so, the first, actually. It, it might be. So um, I'm wondering what about his work drew you in? Just the fact that it was available or is there something about it that you don't get anywhere else? There was. Well, first of all, because it was available. But also, um, I've always been excited about it. Even to this day, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit ashamed to say big books are exciting to me. And John yeah. Saul's books were huge. <laughs> and so, you know, as this, you know, uh, curious child is just devouring everything. When you come across a book that's like, it's big, you go, oh, I can read forever. <laughs> um, and I think that there was something about the, uh, the one thing about John Saul's work is that it was the, the tone. It was very reminiscent of, for me, maybe Gothic, the Gothic writers, maybe Poe, um, Polidori, Shelley. Uh, the the writing was very, very Gothic feeling. It felt very heavy. It, it didn't have the same gut punch like King. Uh, you know, King's writing is, is that kind of stuff where you kind of go, oh, oh, 
oh, right? It's like, oh no, things just constantly get worse. But Saul's writing was, it was a little bit more lyrical, a little more slow burning kind of, you know, that, that kind of thing that I, I don't know if all horror writers care for that, especially not nowadays, right? And so that's, I wonder if um, there just hasn't been a lot of exposure. Uh, to that. And I have no idea. I haven't seen anything new from John Saul. I probably should, you know, I don't know what that circumstance is, right? Uh, I just <laughs> checked. 20, 2009 was his last. And, uh, okay. And, and just real quick, I'm looking at his novels, uh, the first edition novels of his first four books. For, for, sorry, first, let's call it eight books. Those are cool titles. I just, I had to yeah, say that. Yeah. They are so cool. <laughs> Yeah, they Especially are. Suffer the Children, when you guys yeah. get a chance to check that cover out. <laughs> yeah, I have a few of them here, like, still. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, again, I, I've always been drawn to uh, just horror in general, but there's something about uh, those Gothic writers, like, I mean, those classics, that Poe, that Henry James, uh, you know, I would just, just eat that stuff up. <laughs> As as soon as you dropped that name, I, I kind of latched onto it. I had um I had a secondhand bookstore near me go out of business a couple of years ago and sell all their stuff for like I think like three for a dollar, four for a dollar, and I picked up something <laughs> like fifteen or twenty of his books uh, and I, for for like the low low price of like six bucks. Um, oh and um. I, I'm always looking for anybody who's read his stuff to tell me which one of those I should try next. So I've done, um, I've read the Manhattan Hunt Club, and I've read one. I think it was called House of Reckoning. And when you brought up the whole Gothic style, that one, I don't think I really thought about it when I was reading it, but it's totally there. Um, surprisingly, the novel House of Reckoning is about a house, and it has that kind of like creepy. Uh, Again, slow burn, house is a character type feeling um, like you'd get in kind of an older um, an, an older novel where stuff is not just bouncing off the walls and, you know, blood is not pouring out of the ceiling or out of the elevator or whatever. <laughs> um, so what which one of his which titles of his would you recommend to somebody who's not familiar with his work? I would I would say um, suffer the children. Um, and, and House of Reckoning. Um, those are ones that I, they stand out more than any of the other ones. Um, because you're going to get a good read, I think, with any of them, just because of the style. Um, the style is very, very uh, consistent across, across works. Um, but I would think that those two uh, would be the two that I would suggest to anybody that's never read style before. I'm just excited I got the title right. I was like, I know it's on the shelf over there, but my eyesight's not good enough and I'm not wearing my glasses. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's really funny because I thought about not wearing mine because of this whole glare thing. And I'm like, then you won't be able to see anything. That'll be terrible. <laughs> so when uh, you first discovered horror books, was that what drew you into horror initially? Was it the books or was there something else? Did your father also enjoy um I am not going to be a jerk and assume what decade it is. Uh, I think you said 70s. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I just contradicted myself in the same breath. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I need a, I need a better, you need a better co-host there, Brennan. Um, so. <laughs> You'll do in a pinch, man. <laughs> what, was there, 
a TV show or maybe a movie or a bunch of movies that your dad was really into that was horror related? Or did he like the Twilight Zone? Because for me as a young kid, my father and my godfather really liked the Twilight Zone, which is what I got into it as a young kid. Of course, there's all reruns, but I'm I'm curious if there were reruns by the time you were a kid. But I'm curious if your dad liked any of that stuff, too. Oh, yeah. At our house, we watched um, those reruns of The Twilight Zone. Yes, mm. yeah, the black and white. That was before I was born. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like The Outer Limits, um, all the Godzilla movies. Mm. Uh, mostly those classic creature features, though, are mm. the ones that, that he watched a lot at home. Um, I mean, the creature from The Black Lagoon, uh, the beast from the 20,000 leagues or you know those uh, yeah a bunch of the ones from the 50s all the universal monsters Mm. um but the thing is he liked to watch those uh kinds of movies but his patience was very very short uh he wasn't the best person (laughs) and so watching these things with a curious kid that had like a billion questions it kind of didn't work out all the time so i I had to i had to kind of develop my own viewing you know, uh, uh, preferences when I could do that. Cause my sister and brother there, I have a younger sister, younger brother. They weren't always into horror. So I couldn't always talk them into, Hey, let's watch this thing. Right. So I ended up reading, uh, a lot more. And once I got, I guess maybe, so then we're talking about the eighties. Uh, I kind of started developing, developing my own preferences. And I found that I actually like to watch all kinds of horror movies. Um, like, I just do. I love a good creature feature, but, you know, give me some demonic possession in any day. Yeah. Uh, I'm an equal opportunity horror viewer. <laughs> How about modern horror films? Is there any or a few that really grab your attention more than any others? Oh, for sure. Um, so modern. Uh, just, man, uh, I'm a huge 21st Jordan century. Fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Jordan Peele fan. Um, of course, so get out, um, us, I mean, you know, that I, I, I was very, I was very intrigued when I first read that he was going to, uh, you know, do a horror movie because I was like, okay, wait, is this going to be like horror horror or is this going to be like comedy horror? Because I'm, I was a huge fan of Key and Peele and, mm. um, and I just, I mean, he is just funny as all get out. So I was very, very pleasantly surprised that the horror was an actual horror movie. <laughs> um, and so of course I'm a huge Jordan Peele fan. Um, Hereditary was genius uh a quiet place um the witch uh i think even more recently i like that iteration of uh, gretel and hansel um that was yeah that was really good um i like i really like ma um with octavia spencer um so yeah, and the and and of course anything that is tied to the haunting of Hill House, like I'm just gonna go all in on like every iteration, uh, you know, here in this century, uh, because they were all just fabulous. Um, and so yeah, those there those are probably my favorite favorite. Okay, those are good choices. I like Jordan Peele ever since I was younger because of Mad TV. He he cracks me up. <laughs> So when I heard he was going to do when he was going to direct horror before he read an interview where he said that was my first love, it just so happened. And I got into comedy first. I, I just was like, huh, this is OK. Let's see where this goes. 
And right. it's kind of, I don't know if you've seen Ozark, but it, I'm noticing some comedians that take on serious roles. And for me, I'm like, this works and I love it. Like, uh, the show Ozark with, um, Jason Bateman, he's, I, before that show, I've only seen him in funny, like in comedies and he just nails it. Um, but same for the guy that's in uh, Breaking Bad, uh, Brian Cranston. Uh, mm-hmm. he, I just remember him as Hal, the goofy father from Malcolm in the Middle. Right, <laughs> not a right. not a not a cook for uh, making uh, <laughs> what crystal meth. Um, a movie that I'm really excited for that got postponed due to the pandemic. Right. Uh, the the remake of Candyman um, mm-hmm. by I I hope I'm not mispronouncing her name. The director Naya Da Costa. Um, mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they're using um, Tony Todd again, that's – like, why aren't they doing that for the other slashers? Like, Freddy Krueger is Robert England. Like, what? <laughs> He's still alive. He's still alive yes! and kicking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, there is this – you know, I, there's always so many things that I want to write about, right? Like, from a yeah. nonfiction or academic standpoint. But ageism is one of those things that I just terribly hate. And honestly, I think that that's really what this boils down to, Mm -hmm. um, is that they're not as young and spry and fresh-faced as they were when the first iterations came back. But I was immensely excited to see Jamie Lee Curtis uh, in yes. that last Halloween, yes. because I thought, okay, first of all, she is still super badass. Anyway, number one. Uh, number yeah. two, who else is going to be Laurie Strong? Nobody else can play her except her, right? It would um, ruin it. It would ruin it. So I, w- I would like to see these other slashers be able to take on their own roles again. Uh, I would you, love that. Okay, that's the first time I've heard, and maybe I'm hanging around, around the wrong people. But that's the very first time I heard something about ageism. I can't talk ageism with this, and you could be onto something. Like Doug Bradley wasn't because I heard an interview with him that was recorded uh, only a few years ago um, with one of the dudes that wrote um, Host Jed Shepard. He has his own podcast, and uh, he talked to Doug. Super jealous because uh, I love Pinhead, but <laughs> Doug Bradley he, he said he was not approached for um, one of the latest Hellraisers. Which doesn't why why <laughs> why wouldn't he be he's he's pinhead, um, wow. the new Halloween, uh, what's his name um Nick something the shape the original shape was Michael Myers, makes sense he's still alive and he's not an old decrepit elderly person, um, I I just I think if they're older it's gonna make it look creepier and you get a new. You get a new old character, and, and I think sure. fans like us would love that. Sure. Now, I got to ask, because you're hey, obviously – Real quick, go ahead. before you move on, I was just going to say, you know, on the subject of ageism in Hollywood, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's fixed or better or anything like that, but I kind of wonder, you know, because the biggest – movies in the world for the last decade have been the Marvel superhero movies. And, you know, up, up to this point, you kind of, you, you put a hero on the screen and you've got to have like an absolutely jacked 20 something. But I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was the face of that franchise at mm-hmm. 50 plus years old. And even, you know, Mark Ruffalo stepped right into that as, as an older man. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's linked to saying, let's bring back Jamie Lee Curtis. She can still do this. Let's bring back, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the 
actress's name, but the uh, original Sarah Connor from Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but it, it's it's saying these can still work. And if you put, you know, just because you're putting somebody who's handsome or who's, who, who's pretty into a role doesn't mean the tickets are going to sell if they're sure. not invested in that character. Um, oh, right. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that and it's interesting that you you talk about the Marvel universe because yeah. I think on that uh, there was also though this push because I mean because we're into these things right we have to do all the superhero movies right but there's also <laughs> the idea that Spider Man right he went all the way from I don't even think that the, the first is it Tobey Maguire maybe Tobey Maguire yeah. and he still looks to me like a kid. And yet the decision was made to replace him with this even this way younger, younger, younger to kind of start over. Right. Or even with the X-Men, like instead of using these these characters that have actually invested uh, in this whole franchise, it's like, oh, let's just kind of ditch all of them and let's just go get all these newbie younger people, which don't get me wrong. It's great to give young people opportunities. Uh, That's a really great thing. But um, I'm just not sure how to feel about the whole just shove out all the seasoned people though you know yeah, yeah. no it's, you know what it's it's funny you brought up x-men too because i didn't even think of that that's that's a perfect example because they mm-hmm. they brought together the whole young cast and then by movie two they said oh man we need patrick stewart back <laughs> we need um, <laughs> we need ian mckellen again the um, first x-men's that, the best hands down partially on the subject you know you uh patrick you said you were excited about that Candyman movie can't uh, wait did you say was it nia da costa was the director yeah mm-hmm. and, and i'm wondering if you know early buzz is she knocked it out of the park because she she's going to be directing the sequel to captain marvel too and oh, i'm thinking shit. without some serious you know uh chops without somebody saying wow this person knows what she's doing um you don't land a gig like that no. So that's that makes me even more excited for Candyman. Yes, yes. The trailer for anyone that's interested and hasn't seen it yet, the trailer, it just reinvigorates the first. I've only seen the first original one a few times. I, I, I did say that it's in. I did say slashers, and I think I, I threw Candyman in there, but it's kind of its own thing, like Hellraiser. Um, it is. But where I forget where I was going with my point before we jump back to X Men. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I was gonna say about that. But Brennan, do you have anything else before we move on? No, I was wondering because you, I, I cut you off from your original move on, and then I cut you off again. So I feel like you have like place to go. And if that's the case, go ahead and take us. <laughs> yeah, I gotta be honest, my mind's blank at the moment. So I'm just going to move on to uh, something else that I wanted to talk about earlier. But uh, in the interview you had with uh, Sarah Tanlinger, is it Tanlinger? Is mm-hmm. that how you? Okay. I always get a little nervous when people have, like, like Gwendolyn Keister kiss, like no one knows. <laughs> we can never have her on at this point, by the way. We've butchered her name too badly too many times. She's a lovely person. It's just we don't know how to say her last name. <laughs> but, <laughs> she is sweet. <laughs> but in that interview with Sarah, uh, you said that you've got a uh, – you're in a family, a mixed family of 11 with mm-hmm. six kids? Yeah, well, six at home. Okay. So, yeah, we are the Brady Bunch on steroids. Uh, Yeah, so I had uh, four biological kids, and my husband has uh, 
seven. And hmm. so we got together and that made 11. Yeah. Um, yeah well, and the, the craziest thing is, so there are four of them who are adults. Um, three of them live outside of home, uh, which I mean, you know, adults kind of do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and so here at home, we have the 21 year old, uh, which you know, I count him as a grown up, though he's still a grown up. Um, and then we have an 18 year old. We have a 16 year old, two 15 year olds, two 14 year olds. And the last 13 year old comes, uh, does visitation, you know, every other weekend and, uh, things like that. So they're all like the same age group, uh, which my husband and I laugh now. He's like, what were we thinking? Uh, <laughs> I mean, but we've been friends forever. We were friends before we got married. And so we've raised the kids kind of alongside each other anyway. And it was already funny at the time, but it's just hilarious. Now they were all in the same house together. <laughs> That's pretty. You got to. How do you have time for this interview? <laughs> well, you know, they're big. And so, I mean, and my, actually my grandson is here tonight, the three-year-old, he's the only one that I have to kind of, yeah, as long as he doesn't see Abuela, he doesn't try to, you know, I'm kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? Um, (laughs) But the teenagers, they are pretty Um, self-sufficient. So our 18-year-old has special needs, Uh, she's disabled, and I have, we have the most wonderful I hate to even call her a caregiver because she's like family at this point, but Mm. uh, she comes in to help with her. And so, but the other ones, like if there is a time when I have to do something, like right now I have the door locked, the sign out on the door, recording in progress. (laughs) And I mean, they could just, I mean, I fix them. I cook dinner. Go for what you know, kids. I mean, they're big enough that I can do that. Now, when they were younger, this was really hard. Mm. But now that they're teenagers, I mean, they don't want to fool with me half the time. The only time they really want to fool with me is if they want money, if they don't readily see food, (laughs) or if they think I'm doing something super, super, super fun. And recording isn't super fun to them. Not my stuff, right? (laughs) All right. Well, that's a fair, because I, that's fair. I was thinking of (laughs) how many kids you have, and I'm like, well, I only got one, but he's just a little baby, so... He's tiny and he's so super adorable too. Oh, he started to walk last week. Oh, of course we'll, he did! Yay! We'll send you that after we're done. Uh, yes. Um, what was the other thing? Uh, Brennan, take I over. warned him. I said, "There's no going back now." You know, it's super exciting. You want him <laughs> to walk. You want it to happen. You cheer for it. But man, now he's walking. Now yeah. you're done for. It's over. Sorry. <laughs> now he can come find you. Yeah, well, yes. as, as long as he doesn't, like, rip up my books, and I, I pretty much don't have anything else that matters. Yeah. Although, if he rips up a book, I can just, I can buy a new one and then accidentally buy another one. Oh, sure. You know? Well, he might actually be one of those kids that just loves books and ripping one would never occur to him, right? He might revere them. So that would be good. <laughs> That's the goal. Um, your your daughter, you did, I saw a picture you posted that she graduated last yes. year from from high school, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. High okay. School. Yeah. 18. Okay. That makes sense. That's exciting. I love it. I, I always love a parent that is as excited as you and it's just, it makes me happy. Um, and you don't seem tired at all. I feel exhausted and I know that Brennan is. So whatever you're doing, hats off to you. 
Um, I gotta, oh, I gotta get you. that secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, the secret is time. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have been this fresh face. I promise you when mine were the ages of yours at all. Um, <laughs> in fact, I don't even remember those years. Those were my MFA years. And I was like, well, I'll just go to school. And, you know, I was in my first marriage. I was a housewife anyway. Mm. So it, that kind of helps, right? That helps to, yeah. to take out, you know, different things so all I mean all I did was manage home manage kids try to do schoolwork I don't even remember those years um so now I'm kind of going I don't yeah and maybe and when did that one start walking yeah well they walk now I don't know <laughs> so time is actually uh the balm here um it it helps a lot the more uh, the older they get uh the more self-sufficient they get but also there's less guilt when you have to pull away to do your own stuff right um, yeah, even now, sometimes I feel a little bit, tiny bit guilty if it takes me out of the house. But if it just takes me into another room, I think, you know what? They're, they don't need anything. They're big. They're fine. They can feed themselves. They're okay. <laughs> that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, Brian, why don't you go, bud? I, I was just going to comment, you know, about that whole, like, lost time issue. My my two are seven and ten, and I... um. I originally got hired on as a teacher when my young, my, when my oldest one, sorry, was one year old. And I said, I'm going to wait to go out and get my graduate degree. I said, I'm going to wait till life calms down a little bit. Uh-huh. So then I hit that wall where you kind of have to get it. And I had a two-year-old, a five-year-old. And I said, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I like to remind Patrick every once in a while with his, you know, one-year-old boy. I said, mine are seven and ten and I'm still exhausted. <laughs> And there's no end in sight. <laughs> yes, well, they're still young, um, mm-hmm. and they can't be expected. I mean, they're just now probably they've mastered toileting, right? But that's about it. Like you literally cannot, you still can't leave them to do much of anything, just totally on their own. Um, you know, so yeah, you're gonna. I'm sorry, be tired for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sleep doesn't happen until they stop wanting to fool with you. So. <laughs> yeah, that's probably about teenage years or so. <laughs> my, my wife um, graduated with her master's in social work this past December. And my, like mid-December, my son was born uh, a month, a little over a month after that. So wow, she just, <laughs> she just got it in in time. Yes, uh, she is a superwoman. <laughs> she, yeah, she, um, she worked, but... I don't know if we had another one. God, goodness. Um, let's move on to your question. Because this could take forever to talk about kids and how amazing they are, but how tiring they are. Uh, well, if you're, if you're interested, my friend, I have a segue there. Would you like a, would you like a segue? I would like a segue. <laughs> on the subject of children, you know, one of the things that I read that I found absolutely intriguing that kind of sparked your writing uh, and, and your – ideas as far as horror literature goes uh is basing your stuff around the uh evil people and evil institutions that threaten your children that you're like that that you you could feel or you could even potentially be absolutely powerless to do anything about almost that to a degree almost that sense of cosmic horror that this is bigger than that there are forces out there that are bigger that no matter how you, you know, kick and wail against them, there's nothing you could do. So I was kind of hoping to hear you talk a little bit about that idea. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we talked about the angsty teen romance only years, right? So 
um, I had my first son uh, as a, a mom who was single, and I was probably, I was 21 um, when I had him, so pretty young. And I just was assaulted by those pregnancy hormones. So, I mean, I didn't know that that was really a thing, but they they sparked these terrifying nightmares that were so vivid that I would literally wake up like in cold sweats and, you know, you already can't sleep that well when you're that pregnant anyway, right? And these things would just terrify me. And the very first terrifying thing that I thought was, um, because we've already talked about how my dad just wasn't a great person. And of course I have daddy issues Okay. And the, that very first dream that I had was of my father eating my kid. Right. And I thought, this is terrible. I don't even like him. I don't even know where he is and how is he going to eat my kid? And so I had to write this story to exercise it because it ha- it haunted me. It literally haunted me, even though it didn't make any sense. Um, it, it wasn't logical in any kind of way. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then I realized that I have this other little being now that I have to worry about. So, I mean, I've always been attracted to monsters and the monstrosity. I'm usually rooting for the monster uh, because I usually have a sympathy, especially for those that are created um, through these circumstances that that aren't their own. And so even as a kid, I understood, well, these are the monsters that are on TV. These are the monsters in the book, but these are the monsters that are in real life. And so, you know, horror allowed me to kind of not really pay attention to these. But once I started having kids there, I could not ignore those outside monsters anymore. Um, and those are the things that utterly terrified me. Uh, you know, the thought that even now, even though I, uh, you know, I threatened to sell my kids to the rodeo like every other <laughs> thing, right? Uh, the thought that something will happen to them terrifies me. Um, If they go to the mailbox around the corner and I can't see them, I have this debilitating anxiety. Um, The 21-year-old had a job that was close enough that he could have ridden a bicycle. But since he worked the night shift, I forbade him to do that. And I told him, I know you're an adult. You have to go. I'm going to take you to work. Um, We live in Texas. We live in the Burbs. My husband still gets stopped coming out of the subdivision going to work sometimes. Even though we've lived here years and years and years, uh, he gets stopped by the police. And so I thought, I cannot send my kid out here on a bicycle to go to a midnight shift. Uh, If my husband gets stopped, he's going to get stopped. I mean, and so these things are terrifying. Um, Mm -hmm. The thought that I take my daughter out in crowds and they act like they can't see this big neon pink wheelchair, right? Like it's this big, huge metal thing. We've got it all blinged out with, you know, glitter and sparkles and people will step all over the chair. Like they just can't see her. Like it's like she doesn't exist. And so these things terrify me. And, and I realized that, that horror is a good place to channel that uh, because it doesn't help when writers like King do things like Pet Cemetery because that just makes it totally worse, right? Because now we're not just worried about these things and now we got to worry about this other thing too. Thank you, Stephen King. Thank you so much, right? <laughs> yeah, he said he put it in a drawer for like three years after he wrote yes. it. I, I read that and I thought, how did this not terrify you? Like just the thought that something, and every time I read the book or watch, I refuse to watch the most recent iteration uh, because it was just horrifying. I mean, I know the story. I knew what was going to happen. I just couldn't. Like, the mom in me burst into tears after this one scene, and I thought, I'm just not going to watch that anymore. Um, I mean, because, like, the fears that something can happen to your kid. 
Mm. And what would you do? I mean, like, I, I can't say that I wouldn't entertain those same thoughts if something happened to one of mine, right? That's really terrifying. Mm. Yeah. Um, along those lines of a uh, pet cemetery, just super quick, I wrote something last night for the short story in the center of the Brennan, and I was like, so there's this new scene, and I was super vague about it. I'm like, I've never experienced this before, but I wrote it, and it's brutal. And he, when he said that, it was being very unclear. I said, well, okay, it's about a kid. Nothing perverse or whatever. It's just, it's horror, man. It's brutal. And I don't know, like writing about kids, bad stuff happening, it just does something to your nerves and your mm-hmm. guts twist up. And it it really is different when you're a parent. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. And now, so among, among parents, it's such a universal fear. Um, I mean, the, the most recent example that comes to mind is the book Crossroads by Laurel Hightower. (laughs) And have you read, have you read that, Rhonda? I haven't. It's, it's on my Kindle app, like waiting for me to read it. Oh my gosh. I I certainly won't, you know, spoil it, but it's, I, I really think that, you know, to somebody who's a parent, uh, I, I, I devoured that book. I, I read it in an afternoon and it was just, it's an experience. It's such a, an amazing book. Whereas I know somebody who is not a parent who read it and said, yeah, that was fine. Wait, um, what? <laughs> no, that was not fun. I love the show, but that was not fun. Was, that was fine. But like, hey, that, you know, Oh wait, you the said experience fine? Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Not fun. No, that's fun. Um, but yeah, you know, the person I'm thinking of had, they, they said, this is a good book. You know, I enjoyed that read. Whereas for me, I said, no, 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 no. This is not a good book. This is, this is a, this is an experience. This is a life changing, dramatic read and you will treat it as such. <laughs> but I, I think it, it's that, un- that shared universal experience. Anybody with kids can, can can commiserate with that idea of not being able to the, the the like just primal fear of not being able to protect them from everything that life throws at them um and just the unfairness of life and how it you know how it comes crashing down no matter how decent and innocent a person you are um there there's something absolutely gut-wrenching about reading that about writing that you know, all of the above. And then what yes. about when you introduce technology into it um, in real life? Because like when me and Brendan were growing up, when I, 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 I'm not anymore, I just don't have the time, but I used to play video games like every day. And when the PS2 had this option to have a, a internet, like an external internet component, hardware component, it was awesome, but, like, the connection wasn't super great, and, I mean, it was what it was. But nowadays, like, I got a phone that has a, a more powerful processing unit than, you know, all this stuff we had back then. And, like, I don't know what that's going to mean in 10 years when my kid's going to have, like, whatever the hell the iPhone 20 or whatever is. And it's yeah. just <laughs> – it's scary because I, I look into, like, future technology that is real that will happen – in our lifetime and there's talks of like, you know, internet chips being installed in people. And uh, I don't know if it's man-made, it can be fucked with. Yep. 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 
Yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but like I don't trust the world. I keep all my shit locked up. I just do not trust people. Oh man, yeah. I'm always telling my kids because they're into the, the games, and now that they are, uh, the youngest are 13 or, or 14. Like the youngest is still 13 for a couple of months, but um, you know, so they're doing the whole social media thing, and they're playing the games with you know various people. And I mean, I'm not totally that gloom and doom parent that goes to them and says, look, I'm going to read this to you. Let's read this. Don't you know that these people could be somebody else? And let's go watch the host. Let's go see this. <laughs> you know, let's watch Ma. Let's watch these movies. Um, you know, teachable moments. Let's go watch the horror stuff so you can see exactly what could happen. <laughs> um, I mean, and we just have to try to keep them as safe as we can. Uh, the hardest thing for me as, as a Gen Xer is that I have had to learn most of this technology in a very short amount of time. And so what I worry about is me not being able to keep up, right? Like, uh, I just, I've only ever seen TikTok videos whenever somebody posts them on Twitter, right? Like, I've never actually gone to TikTok, except I don't know why I did it the other day, but I went on, actually made a username, like as if I'm ever going to use it. But I like fell down this TikTok rabbit hole <laughs> and my husband and I are sitting there like, you know, these two middle aged people. I mean, there's some of them were funny. Some of the videos were sad and some of them were just what? Why would somebody film this? But when I was telling my two daughters about it, they just kind of looked at each other and fell out and they went, this is what happened. This is what happens when old people get on TikTok. And I was like, what do you mean? And so they're explaining to me, well, you were pushing this button and all you had to do was do that to get to that. And I was like, really? You don't stay. So they know all about this stuff. So now I got to go do some kind of TikTok crash course so that they, I can always know, you know what they're talking about, what they're dealing with. So that, that's one fear because I'm very tech challenged. You know, like I, in fact, I was playing around with Skype is why I happened to be on when you sent the message because I was like, I have to get on here. Make sure I remember how it goes. Let me press this button. Let me click this. Let me, let's just see. Let's make sure it's okay. Um, and I mean, I'm the same way with it. I've actually canceled class in the past couple of weeks because I couldn't figure out how to get WebEx to let the sound come on. I was like, you know what? We're just not going to worry about it. So I do worry that sometimes the tech is going to leave me behind. Um, and I hope that that doesn't happen until they're adults and they will be safer uh, because otherwise, I don't know, I'm going to be fumbling around trying to learn the stuff. <laughs> I am scared that there will come a time when cameras, I mean, it could be, it could be very likely it's now, but when we are aware, when we're always being recorded, I mean, like I said, it, it could very likely be already happened. It could have been happening for years, but <laughs> You see some bad shit and people are like, I don't give a fuck that I'm being recorded. I'm going to do some crazy shit now. And it's not even to, for shock value. It's just that there's a glass house that we're all in and we just don't give a fuck anymore. It's com- <laughs> it, We're compl- complicit with it, right? I mean, yeah. what other word can you use for that? It's we're scary. We're just all throwing rocks. <laughs> what? We're just all throwing rocks. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I would like to talk about Sycorax's daughter. That is a doorstopper. There's a lot of great names in that. Linda Addison was the editor, right, for that one, I think. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, um, so that's a big name off the bat. From your perspective, or your point of view, rather, how did you get involved, and um, what else can you tell us about it? For those that haven't read it or aren't aware of that anthology, what can you tell us about it? 
Well, so Linda Addison, um, first of all, I, I can't even say enough great things about her. I swear she's like a saint. Um, and I had been kind of following her work, you know, kind of, you know, as a reader, as a fangirl. Um, and I went to SpokerCon. I think it was still joined with World Horror Convention, maybe in 2013. Um, I remember that it was in New Orleans. And um, I had not met Linda at this point, but I mean, I knew of her and I was actually in the lobby of the hotel going to do my registration. And I saw this other black lady uh, like across the way. Right. It was kind of like these romance movies. Our eyes met and like I was in conversation with somebody else. So you don't you're not going to be rude, but our eyes locked. And we had that moment of girl, I'm coming to find you later. Right. And so uh, when I found her later, um, I found that she was Dr. Kenitra Brooks. She's uh, was uh, she's from New Orleans. And mm. so um, lifelong horror fan. And she decided to just kind of check it out. Um, and she writes about uh, black women in horror mm. uh, from an academic standpoint. Right. And mm. so, I mean, like she has a whole Ph.D. and a whole monograph and all of this stuff. Right. And so she uh, and I had lunch a couple of times. One of those times she brought Linda along. And of course I'm sitting there going, I can't believe I'm sitting here eating with these people. This lady writes like about black women and horror, like as a whole professor. And this is Linda Addison. Like, really? I couldn't stop looking at Linda. I mean, she's not just beautiful physically, right? But she's beautifully beautiful on the inside. And I thought these women are amazing. How can I be sitting here sharing, you know, eating food with them? Um, and so afterwards, um, I got, I kind of kept in contact with Dr. Brooks. Um, mm -hmm. and then she reached out and said, Hey, you know, we're going to pull together this thing. Uh, would you like to contribute a story? And I thought, well, of course she says it's only black women, horror writers. Um, and we're going to do this. And I thought, well, of course we are. Of course <laughs> we're going to do this. And <laughs> So, I mean, I pulled and then I saw that, that Linda was another one of the editors and uh, Dr. Susanna Morris was another one of the editors. And I thought this this is something that I I have to play in this playground. Like, I'm so glad they invited me and I'm going to put my very best foot forward. And this is what I'm going to do. And so um, I sent in the story. Linda sent back some very, very insightful edits. I mean, because she's just that person. Right. And once it was put together, uh, I found out that the publisher, uh, Cedar Grove Publishing, is actually owned by a Black woman. Mm. And so just the sheer historic uh, value of that, because I'm a huge horror fan. I remember that Dark Matter, uh, I think, was the first anthology of Black horror writers. And that was like maybe the 90s-ish, 2000, maybe. There had never, ever, ever been an anthology of just black female horror writers. That's crazy. So that was so crazy. And yeah, so, that's, wow. I mean, like understanding that this was like a moment in history and horror history that if there was never going to be another first. Um, and yeah. so I was really, really honored to be a part of that, especially when I found that the people that I knew who were editing it already were just super amazing. And then I saw the other writers and I went, well, goodness, I'm glad I wrote my story and sent it in before I knew that, because I probably would have been way too intimidated to, to finish this up at this point. Um, and so what what they came up with, they uh, they had a beautiful cover. 
um, that is actually very, very um, awe-inspiring. Like just to look at it, it's beautiful. Yeah, um, is that a is that that's an original illustration, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah, it, it, lo- is an it looks like illustration. it. Yes, it is beautiful. And then to see that the book was so huge, of course, again in me, the reader in me was like, yes, I have lots and lots to read. Um, and so what what came out of that was this collection of stories and short stories and poems by only black female horror writers. And and what was so amazing about the size of this book was because for years, for years, I've not seen, I mean, that's why I was so um, excited to see Dr. Brooks at the horror convention. I would go to these things and I would never see another black person. Uh, and if I did see another black person, it usually was um, the writer, Rath. James White. Yeah, and I've never, yeah. I've never introduced myself to him, but you can't help but see him. He's tall. He stands head and shoulders above most of everybody, yeah, right? He so seems I'm, like a really great guy, though. He is. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of met him tangentially, right? Yeah. Uh, his writing is utterly horrifying, though. Yeah. <laughs> the scariest book I have ever read in my life. Before I read his work, I would have said was Pet Cemetery, mm, but his. Uh, White's book, um, The Resurrectionist. Okay. That was by far, even to this day, just the worst, most deliciously terrifying thing I've ever read in my whole life. Just it was just one of those kind of things where you go, This this is so messed up, but wait, that's even more messed up. And oh wait, you mean there's it can even get worse? Um, and, and most of his writing is like that. Uh, so I'd go to this stuff and he was the only other black person I would see. And I just kind of, I mean, I'm used to moving around in those spaces. Uh, and so it was just exciting to see another black woman. But when we look at what was published, right. Cause of course, at this point, Tanana Review is doing her wonderful things. It's one of yeah. my favorite writers. Um, but when you look at anthologies, you don't see, you just didn't see stories. From black women, when um all that one big publisher, there was a huge kerfuffle. They published all these big names. Uh, was it Leisure? Yeah, well, Leisure. Yeah, they, well, they the ones that went defunct. Leisure and Dorchester went defunct. Dorchester, uh, okay, what, yeah. Ten, five, yeah. ten years. So I, I don't know those. how long ago. Yeah. yeah, but even reading those, there's no black women horror writers. So I mean, the 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 idea hmm. there was that oh, there's no black women that write horror. And of course you're thinking, but these people, these black ladies right here managed to find this whole book full though. So where, where were all of us all this time? Like we've always been here. Right. Um, and I'd now watch a movie about that. That would be pretty cool. Like just <laughs> oh you and all them gosh. ladies writing the, this horrific shit. <laughs> oh awesome. my gosh. There is, well, there is this one um, editor and writer, Sumiko Salson. On her website, she used to feature like, you know, I remember way back when it was like 30 black women in horror, right? So now she actually has over 100 black women in horror listed um, on her site. And then she edited um, another anthology of black female horror writer stories that I'm really honored to have had a story in. Uh, But I mean, but that it was just very moving. That when somebody wants to find these things, when someone wants to find black female horror writers, they can do that. You just have to want to do it, really. Yeah, you know what's interesting is um to kind of go along with that, V Castro, are you familiar with her? Oh yes, I love V. She, we love her. She's a friend She's of the so show. Awesome. <laughs> 
She's Pat, a real quick aside. Have you ever mentioned V Castro and not had whatever guest we were talking to not say, I love her to death? <laughs> there is. See, I'm not saying this to just make her seem more great, great than she is. No, just, but everybody loves her. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I can't answer questions with a short answer. That's my flaw. <laughs> biggest flaw. Uh, yeah, everyone loves her. I bring her up because she made a good point that, at least to me, I can't speak for Brennan, but for at least to me, I never thought of it like this. And she said, basically, when you see, you know, a list of authors that work with publishers and it's just like the same type of race, pretty much all white dudes or whatever. It's like if you're walking in a a bar, you walk by a bar, you see inside the window, it's just one clientele. And and let's just say it's probably all white dudes, Um, guys that look like me. I mean, I've been told <laughs> that it's surprising how nice and open-minded I am, so I'll just take that for what it is. Guys that look like <laughs> me, big, tall, white, bald, bearded dudes, are normally sometimes dicks. And oh. he was like, if you look in a bar and you see that like one clientele, you're going to say it's probably not for me. And that's a good point. And at least from my point of view um, – I'm happy to see change and jump in it when everyone's getting a. At least it seems like people are starting to get a fair share at mm-hmm. at a actual equality, and it excites me. Um, if I just had one type of person on the podcast, how boring would that be? It would be like a band that does the same song over and over again <laughs> for every album. <laughs> now there is a name that I wanted to throw out there, and I feel like you probably know her. But have you heard of uh, or read Jessica Guess? I have. I have just been introduced to Jessica probably um, on Twitter. Uh, Twitter mm-hmm. is where I find all you cool people now. That's where all the cool kids have always been, right? Yeah, I guess um, so. And so, but I have her um, Cirque Berserk on my Kindle app. Again, mm-hmm. that's one of my to-be-reads, right? Because I buy all these books and I go, first of all, I don't need my husband to know I bought all these books. That's why I put them <laughs> on the Kindle app. But secondly, I'm looking through the library and I'm going, I haven't read this yet. I haven't read that yet. Oh my gosh, I have all this stuff to read. Um, So I'm just getting to know Jessica um, and she is awesome. But I mean, I just love the title of her book. Oh, like it, just the title of it. And it's said in the eighties too, like, and I was really there. So and, you know, it'll be like a class reunion. <laughs> I know I can speak for Brian on this matter. We both love that book. It's good. I've read three slashers this year that came up of books that came up this year. Hers was the first mm. standalone was second by Paul Michael Anderson. That was fun. It's a weird sci-fi horror. And, mm. uh, where the slasher is a good guy. It's weird, but it's it's wow. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and the third one was by Hunter Shea called Slash, which was interesting because it's like a psychological – for that, those that don't know, it's like a psychological horror of the quote-unquote final girl in real life. It's like they have these weird – it's it's crazy. I don't want to choose the wrong words, but we all love horror, but there is a clear line when it's real horror and there's real victims. Like you can't sure. you can't treat them the same. That you would like a character in a show, but they are treated the same, like some kind of weird, like they're some kind of celebrity where they don't want it and didn't ask for it. And that's kind of what it touches on. Um, Mm -hmm. But I bring up Jessica because she uh, has the Black Girl's Guide to Horror and she's just um, kind of in my eyes uh, from what I've seen the 
like seven years I've been on the Twitter horror scene. Uh, she to me is one of the most interesting voices and specifically for like black female writers mm-hmm. and viewers. And she's just, she's a nice person. She's a very good writer. So I wanted to throw that out there for anyone else that may not have heard of her. Uh, Brennan, what are your thoughts on her book? Cirque Berserk, even though we talked about it when she was on the show, <laughs> just reiterate for anyone that may have not heard that one for a complete list of my thoughts you can check out that episode but uh no i i love cirque berserk i thought it was just it was exactly what it promised it's got this like bright fun lit up carnival cover that you know implies that slashing is going to go down and it absolutely delivers (laughs) on all cylinders um you know jessica gives us that you know black female lead character who's not just the uh, you know, there to be the best friend to the white girl. Um, yeah, yeah she, she gives says this that in the book too. I love it. She she gives this character like all this substance, and the the thing I I really enjoyed about it is I feel like there are when you write a book that jumps back and forth between present and past, there are a lot of ways for it to go poorly, and yeah. I thought she absolutely nailed it. Um, oh, nice. It was very clear when you know it, it there was no confusion like wait what what year am i reading at this point um she she really did a good job with that um and i would certainly highly recommend it to anybody okay, now i'm excited looking forward to reading it yeah and it's short uh it's in the uh eddie the guy's name is eddie generous that runs that company the unnerving uh publisher but they got um uh, rewind or die series mm-hmm. if you're not familiar or whoever's listening isn't familiar it's just covers that look like their vhs covers and that's what they represent a time yeah. when it's just over the top horror it's fun it's not to offend anyone and it's just to have a good time and i think that's what good books do and and they pull it off i've read four in the series so far and they do a really good job but let's get back to you um you've written two articles you said, well, you've written more than two articles, but two that you uh, sent us that were just uh, really interesting. I like the titles. Um, and pick whichever one you want to dive into, if mm-hmm. either. But the first one, and you already mentioned this, The Beloved Haunting of Hill House, and then the other one was titled Gaslighting, Marginalization, and The Well-Coiffed. Um, again, either one that you would like to discuss, because I, I'm just, I know your thoughts are in the article, but maybe to let anyone that hasn't read it kind of let them know what it's about. And if you have any other thoughts on that. Um, well, um, I'll talk about, uh, I mean, cause I love stranger things, of course. Right. That's what the, the first it's show such was a good about, show. right. It's yeah. such a good show. Yeah. Oh, and Give 11 season is four such, now. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, 11 is such a good like lead character. I mean, she's just perfection just about, you know, <laughs> Um, Speaking of Eleven, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, my wife and I just watched a new movie on Netflix called Enola Holmes. Yes, yes. It it's so good. And she, it? Millie, but I forget her real name. She's a fantastic uh, actress. She's gonna. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think she's gonna be a kid actor. She seems like she's gonna do just fine. But, oh, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, no, she's wonderful. I haven't seen that movie yet, but I mean, I loved her in um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, yeah, she's she's got a lot of range. She's not going anywhere anytime soon unless she wants to. <laughs> um, but 
I will talk about the other one because it's more recent, right? But mm-hmm. also because it, um, in it, we were, it's in a, an edited collection of essays about the Netflix's uh, uh, ver- uh, version of The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. Um, I was enamored of that because, of course, we talked about how much I love The Haunting of Hill House anyway. Um, but I really, really appreciated the way that um, Flanagan uh, inserted the family dynamic into that whole storyline because that created so many avenues for conflict. Um, but there are some things that jump out to me uh, when I'm reading or writing something. And one of those things is the experiences of the mothers if they are there. And so Olivia Crane uh, really stood out to me and I could not help but make parallels to her situation, um, of her situation to um, Sethi Suggs in uh, Toni Morrison's novel, Beloved. Now, Anybody that's talked to me for any amount of time, they're going to hear me talk about Beloved and Morrison because they're iconic. That's just forever. I, everything I talk about, I'm talking about Beloved. I mean, you just can't get any better than this, right? <laughs> but once I started thinking about, you know, these parallels that I saw between these mothers, I realized that it was a, a research topic that I wanted to think more about um, because they were both mothers um, on in the margins. Um uh, and just for sort of a shameless plug, like I do talk a little bit more about this at the Multiverse Con uh, mm-hmm. that's coming up this weekend. Uh, but but a part of this essay um, that I took out of that was that these were mothers in the margins. And so Olivia Crane suffers from mental illness. Um, she has a whole bunch of kids. She also has this psychic sensitivity that the house is able to play on. Um, and so I felt like the reason why she was um, suffering was because she didn't feel she could really go to her husband and say, hey, I'm having a real hard time here. This is kicking up my anxiety and it's, you know, triggering my migraines. And even when she did try, he just kind of blew it off because he's used to her being whole and helping to keep their family together. And so I thought about her being on in the margins and, uh, you know, being driven to try to kill her children because of, uh, like um, Brennan mentioned before, those outside circumstances that we can't control for our kids. Mm. And so in that way, she was very similar to Sethi Suggs and Beloved, although there is nothing that I can think of that compares to slavery. But thinking about mothers in the margins, uh, Sethi Suggs, was, uh, the, she was based on this real-life character, uh, Margaret Garner. Uh, is who Morrison based this character on. And this is a lady who really did face trial for killing her child mm-hmm. rather than see her child enslaved. And so um, Sethi Suggs is based on that character. And so she actually did kill her child. And then what is haunting her is the ghost of that child, the guilt of having done that. But she's still this mother that's only did that be because of the institution of slavery. Um, because had she not been a slave and had to try to escape herself, she wouldn't have probably felt like that her only um, any the only choice she had was to to kill her baby rather than to see her enslaved. Right. right? And so in that way, those both Olivia Crane and Sethi Suggs are very similar. Um, and, and I could see those parallels. I could also see them in some mothers today. Um, it's really hard. Uh, like we laugh and talk a lot about, you know, talk, we talked a lot about parenthood, right? But when you are a parent who uh, maybe suffers from anxiety or depression, it's really hard to like go to someone and say, I need help, especially if you're the mom. Um, and so, and then I, I don't have any shame now in saying that I do suffer from 
generalized anxiety and depression, but I went undiagnosed for years. Mm. It was one of my daughter's specialists that when I took her in for her regular checkup with her, she looked at me and she said, how are you doing? And, and I was a little stumped. I couldn't answer her. And then I burst into tears. And she said to me, I need you to go and talk to your ECP about this. She says, you're not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. This is a lot. You're carrying a lot. Um, and so that said, uh, I know what it's like to be that mom that's on the outside and you don't always know how to ask for help. You don't know uh, people will ostracize you. Um, and then you add these supernatural elements, right? Thankfully, I've never had those, yeah. <laughs> you know, like haunting me. But both of these women, they had these haunted houses. And so the decline of their houses parallel their mental declines in both of them. And I found that just immensely interesting, even though if I do find it a little maddening that that haunted house trope, uh, you know, it's kind of trotted out as this whole uh, depiction of defiled femininity. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, OK, so the haunted house has been penetrated. It fails to protect its inhabitants, just like the mom fails to protect her family. Uh, you know, I think it just places a lot of responsibility on the mom person. <laughs> yeah. Moms take on a huge like. I- like, I'm not just saying this to butter up anyone, but I feel <laughs> – no, seriously. I've To me, my wife is the strongest person I know, and, and it's not just based off of her, but to me, women are, women are stronger than men. The shit that y'all have to deal with, I mean, I, I get worried with my wife sometimes, like, just being out, just because I don't trust the world, and I – I don't know if she feels the same way about me, but if I have a daughter, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be a wreck. I don't have any more hair to lose. Like, all my hair in my head's gone. <laughs> I like my beard, so I hope it's not there. That's the best response I got for all that that you just said, so I'm sorry if I did not answer anything directly. Um, Brendan, do you have anything smart to say in response to uh, Rhonda? I, I don't think I can... <laughs> I don't think I can beat that. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean, I would, I would echo, you know, what I, what I kind of said earlier, where I, 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 actually, I don't even know if I said it earlier, but I thought it. Um, that I, I just really enjoy the fact that your writing seems to revolve around that motherhood and that family aspect, um, and your interest in not only your writing but your interest in. Uh, the horror genre like that's that's what appeals to you it's so um again it's 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 just got that primal experience that we can really all i guess us parents anyway we can really all relate to and yeah not all but um all here and fuck everybody else so um especially the <laughs> listeners fuck you they exactly come exactly <laughs> Um, Brennan does not speak for Deadhead's face. <laughs> My favorite part is that you threw it to me. You're like, save it. And I absolutely just like, you know, juggled it and lost it off the side of a cliff. Rhonda, you've been a great guest today. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Thank you. You are awesome too. Um, it's all on purpose too. Right? <laughs> No, I'm just a moron, and Brennan's, uh, I don't know. He's, he's one step above me. 
<laughs> I'm not sure what that is. I guess a fool. But um, I wanted to actually, before we wrap it up, um, I did want to touch – I don't want to spoil anything, but in I brought up Sycorax's daughter because your title – to give her whatsoever she would ask, um, without saying anything about the plot, because it's a short story, so, again, I don't want to spoil it, but it is about motherhood, what she does to become a mother. It it, it touched close on uh, what Laurel... It, it was like a short version of Laurel's story in Crossroads, um, and how it just wraps up at the end. I, I'm sorry I'm being so vague, but again, I don't want I want to entice people to read this. It's killer. I mean, pretty gross. <laughs> pretty gross imagery. Yeah, no, but that, I mean That's as a, yeah, I mean as a compliment. And back to an earlier point at the very beginning of the show, you were talking about how like when you're an angsty teenager and and it doesn't even matter if you're a girl, if you're a guy too. And you want to write romance, like that's the time to do it. And you'll for the fan fiction aspect, you'll write about your crush, but with horror. And it's not just being a teen. You just write about when you love someone. You don't love. You don't typically write a romance. You're like, hmm, how can I dismantle your body in the most grotesque manner? <laughs> and, and, and for like us horror fans, I've said this in other episodes, I think. Say we're talking on the phone or having coffee and someone goes by and we're just not listening. Because, like, the other day I was listening to Brennan's voice messages and it goes through speakerphone. And I forget exactly what he said, but we were talking about some books. And he mentioned a, a grotesque graphic part. And it was my windows were down. And I didn't look to my <laughs> side at a red light but because, like, I didn't want to. And I'm just looking straight ahead and I'm like – forgot how blue we are when we speak and when we re when we relay things that we liked in books it's just I don't the best know. part of that story is i know exactly what you're talking about i would never repeat it on this show oh no i'm not no it, let's let me be super clear it was graphic it wasn't a way i would describe what this person described i'm not gonna throw anyone under the bus but i'll leave it at that um, wow. <laughs> Brennan, take over. You're smarter. <laughs> it, 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 we definitely do have that though, where we, um, we almost get this kind of desensitization, um, where we talk with each other about these topics and, and whatnot. And then we kind of have to curb it back and realize, oh, I can't talk to normal people like that because <laughs> they'll lock me up. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Rhonda, segueing as awkwardly as possible, what do you have in the works? Um, okay, so in the works, um, coming this weekend, uh, I mentioned earlier, is Multiverse Convention. Um, it is totally virtual this year, uh, which is great. I mean, that's the thing yeah. that we're doing, right? Um, it is a, uh, a speculative fiction convention though and uh i'm just really honored that they let me uh play with them and um so i i was with uh my co-director rory montgomery uh pulled together their academic track and so we have some really cool uh academic presentations uh we also have other tracks like right track horror track sci-fi track geek track so um that's coming this weekend 
Um, I'll also be on the HWA's um, panel on Sunday. Um, and oh, now I'm totally embarrassed that I can't think of the name of it. Please just chalk it up to middle age. Like I had it at the tip of my tongue. That is ageism, madam. We talked <laughs> about this. <laughs> but if I say it myself, it's okay. Oh, she, she's got a point. You know and what? if you say it's not, that's ageism. Yeah, that's, well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Shut up, Brennan. <laughs> there's going to be a panel uh, discussion and uh, there's going to be lots of cool people there. Jessica Guest is going to be moderating and V oh, Castro no, and uh, oh, Gavino Iglesias. Yes, 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 wow. yes. So that's Sunday. Um, and um, I just had this story that came out in the Southwest Review, their special Halloween uh, edition. And I think that the academic in me was just floored. This is the, I think the third oldest uh, literary quarterly in the country. Uh, and they are based right here in Texas at um, Southern Methodist University. And so I'm really super excited to have a story in that issue. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I have arrived. This is great, right? And then the next day you go, no, I haven't arrived. Um, and so um, I'll also have stories in um, Paper Press's um, Sonorous Silence uh, anthology coming up. We don't have a publication, a published date yet. Um, Oh my gosh, the cake anthology slasher tour. I'll have a story of that. That was super exciting to me uh, because when the editor, uh, Walker, when he put that on Twitter, he was like, I think he might do a cake anthology. And I was all over there, like, you know, man, look, really, because these cakes are <laughs> terrifying. The cake pictures were scary for me. I was like, this is. Why are we doing this? Why do we do this? Don't mess with cake like that, right? <laughs> um, and I will also have a story in the upcoming, um, uh, the next iteration, or I'm sorry, the next installment in the Inferno series, um, edited by Stephanie Ellis. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, so... Based off of Dante's Inferno, right? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> beautiful cool. cover. Oh my gosh, beautiful cover. Um, and Stephanie so, Ellis has talked about enough, I feel. I, you know, I feel bad that uh, she reached out to me to ask mm. me if I would write a story for the anthology. And when I went to her site and I'm looking at all her stuff and I'm going, I, I've read your work before. And, and of course, you never tell me about this, but I totally agree with you, Patrick. I'm like give this lady like all these accolades. Like yeah. she is super awesome and wonderful. Like we need to be pumping her up so much. Like I yeah. totally agree with you. Um, and so I'm really excited about those upcoming things. Um, and of course not knowing what this future holds. Right. But I am tentatively scheduled to do an academic presentation at the Stoker con in Denver. Um, mm. It's kind of a holdover from uh, the UK one because I just, I just couldn't, that when I just couldn't make it with this pandemic. So hopefully things will have settled a little bit by the time Denver rolls around uh, so that we can actually make that happen because that and Radcliffe Academic Conference is really one of my favorite parts of that, uh, the whole thing. Um, because, awesome. you know, you get to be all academic -y. you can take notes with other people talking about academic stuff, and, <laughs> you know. So, but at any rate, um, those are the things that I kind of have on the table as far as the writing. Of course, there's grading and, you know, there's the mommying thing. But I mean, I don't think we really want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> and that's a I, lot. You're a teacher. So, yeah, the grading thing, that that's just the thing that we got to do. So, yeah. <laughs> 
You uh, so much fun, so much fun, <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Gabino's gonna be in it too, and let's just put this out there. He's like one of the coolest fucking guys you'll ever talk to. Oh my gosh! Listen, I met. Okay, first of all, I started following him on Twitter, right? A couple mm. of years ago or so, and his collection, story collection, made it to the Stoker's final ballot, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought. Oh my gosh, I have to meet this guy. I found that he was going to be in Grand Rapids and I thought, cool, he's from Texas too. Like, okay, Austin is not really next door like some people think, but I mean, I could get there if I had to. It's a big state. (laughs) It's a big state. But we think of it as like, I think driving to Austin, I think, okay, road trip in an afternoon. You know, it's not like other people in other states. Like I went, like I went to grad school there in Pennsylvania and people would complain about having to drive from the airport in Pittsburgh, like an hour to Greensburg where the college was. And I thought an hour, that's bothersome. Like I drive an hour to go find food. (laughs) That's just what we do one way. Right. And so I say, I'm going to meet him in Grand Rapids. So we're running around, running around. My husband and I have flight issues. We didn't get there on time. It was just this whole mess. So I'm on this panel. And this guy comes up afterwards and is like, great panel. It's so great to see you. He shakes my hand. And I'm like, okay, thank you, my brother. And blah, blah, blah. As soon as he leaves, I go, oh, that was, wait, it was Gavino. Oh. He disappeared like a ninja. I never saw him the rest of the con. And I felt so bad because I still had not officially met him. Mm. And so then my uh, campus was, uh, I was organizing a a pop culture academic conference. um, And when we started talking about guest speakers, I said, I know who we need to get. We need to ask the Vino. And so I reached out and he accepted. And when I say he came to that conference and blew us all away, he blew us all away with his words, his reading. I mean, he is just so much awesomeness and glitter. I'm just like, really, yeah. he is so wonderful. Uh, and so I'm really, really glad to see, um, you know, him getting uh, and his work getting the attention that that it really, really deserves. Yeah, he um, he's such a nice guy. And he writes some of his articles. Like, I don't know if they're all for Lit Reactor, but some of them are like he drops the F-bomb here and there, but it has a point. It has a point, and it's just like the people that get – and I don't know who they are because I don't – I try I try not getting sucked into that rabbit hole of <laughs> trollness. And uh, the people that get offended at what he writes, I feel like half of them are just people trying to be jerks. Mm-hmm. The other half are just people that have thin skin and are offended by really anything. Right. He – Gabino's just a guy. That just wants people to be better at writing, and he will show you how. And it's not going to – It's it, some might consider it tough love, but I think it's the only <laughs> way that you'll get better. Sure. <laughs> um, Brendan, you got anything else before we ask one of the last questions? Uh, no, I, I guess I would just throw out – You know, we mentioned that Steph Ellis doesn't get enough love. She's got a, a novel coming out at the end of the month. Uh, I think it's called Five Turns of the Wheel. I could be wrong. But uh, yes, yes. yeah. yeah. So, hey, maybe that will maybe that will get her the attention that she deserves. Um, And then, you know, with all the stuff about Gabino, I would just say the guy's work ethic is just like unparalleled. And you've got to respect that. (laughs) Yeah. And he's one of the like as far as like I don't plan to ever stop reviewing books, even when I'm a (laughs) published author. And he's just. For me, he's a direct influence. He does them 
well, I don't think he kisses anyone's ass, but he's not mean about it. Right. And he's just, his reviews have their own voice, which is really cool because I never thought of reviews like that until <laughs> someone pointed them out about Gabinos. I'm like, oh, duh, it's, it's writing. <laughs> right, right. So, it's definitely uh, branded writing. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And he does it to build up his fellow authors, you know? He sure. does it to, yeah. to support everyone around him. Got to respect that. for that. It's amazing. Um, what are you reading right now, Rhonda? Right now, I'm reading student essays. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard that one. So, yeah, well, (laughs) so I have all these books that I have lined up to read, right? Um, And so... I I can't even name a few. Like we already know, I have a uh, Cirque for Cirque on there. I, I have um, hair hairspray and switchblades. Um, mm. I have um, this one by Beverly Lee. The something of delicate things, maybe. Um, I have Laurel Hightower's uh, book on on my Kindle app. I mean, I have all these books. I pick, and I want to say that when I saw. Ellis's uh, book cover that you just mentioned, Brennan. I want to say that I clicked on it. I probably either pre-ordered it or something because it's ringing some bells and I'm like, okay, I need to, if I didn't do that, I need to fix that. I need that book. (laughs) So, I mean, I have all these things. Like every time something comes across my timeline, I'm like, oh, I need to go get that. There was one by um, Gemma Amore um, that I I didn't realize I'd already bought. So I go to buy it and they're like you already bought this and I go oh okay I need to read that one too <laughs> that's so, another, I mean, another yes, person you can talk really highly about Gemma. yes 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 I mean so right now though I'm in we're in midterm so we're like in week eight of the 16 week semester um so right now I really am like you know eyebrow deep in student essays and uh, you know conferencing about essays. Uh, I actually have a um, a Brit British literature class that starts on Monday. Hmm. It's eight week class, and so you know that'll be fun. Um, is it like old? It, it, Clyde Barker's not in that, is he? <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. I, yeah, I doubt it. it would be so amazing. Well, I'm always supplementing uh, the textbooks anyway because I don't find <laughs> any one that has everything I want anyway. Right. Um, and so, yeah, if I can find a way to slide some Barker in, you can best believe I will. <laughs> I mean, like, look, here's the thing. He's not like that graphic, so you can get away with it in school. It's not <laughs> well, a big deal. Yeah, but this is college. We could get away with it anyway. Okay. There it is. Yes. <laughs> and I did look at I did see that cover because I just checked it out mm-hmm. again. Stephanie Ellis's The Five Turns of the Wheel. That's a Keelan Patrick Burke. Uh, Burke cover. That guy's on. He's like one of the most prolific cover artists that I know of. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So much talent. Right. <laughs> I, I can't believe that he's a great author on top of being a, a nice person. And a, it's so weird to say like that. But, you, you know, some bet. Some people that aren't, you know, kind of make you go, hey, how many others are? But there are mostly right, good right. ones. Well, but Keelan he also bakes. Yeah, he also bakes. And I did like, not know that. He, well, he puts pictures of what he bakes, like, on Twitter. And so I'm always, you know, I'm easily impressed by food, especially <laughs> pretty food. Um, he posted a picture of these cookies once and put a link to the recipe. And now I'm the anti-Dolly domestic. If there's any way to mess up a recipe, I'm going to do it. But I made the cookies and they actually turned out okay. 
I'm sure they weren't as great as his, but they, my kids loved them. So, yeah. So, and he also bakes. I mean, like how much better can it be? (laughs) That's true. And he kind of looks like a movie star. He has it all. And his dog looks like Scooby-Doo, like dead on. (laughs) Like I'm a little, now that I talk about him uh, in, okay. So I don't know if you know Alan Baxter, but he wrote, um, this book called The Rue came out earlier. Yes, in the beginning. I need yeah. that book. Yeah, I need to get that book. I need that one. <laughs> if you like Pulp Horror and it's just over-the-top silliness oh, due to yeah. the extre- extremeness of the deaths, that's what it is. But Brennan and I are in that, and at yeah. one point – and this doesn't ruin anything. At one point, me and Keelan uh, tag-team each other. and uh, I mean, not tag-team each other. We tag-team with each other to take down the bad guy. But – um. Really? I'm I'm, there's a line in there, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. He's really good looking, something like that. Okay, I'm look. I'm going to buy books. Don't y'all tell my husband. Don't tell my wife. I'm gonna buy books too. Um, Brendan, what books are you currently reading? I I totally forgot about that line where 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 they they had come out of your mouth how handsome he is. I mean, I I'll fight anyone that says Keelan Patrick Burke's not. Handsome devil. Even a giant kangaroo? Uh, I might need a team for that. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm, I'm almost done with, uh, Haley Piper's got a new book coming out through Off Limits on November 15th, The, mm-hmm. the Worm and His Kings, and yes. I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, oh, it's, nice. I, I, it's, I got a little bit into it. I thought it might be another like one or two day read. Um, cause it's, it's only like 114 pages, but it just kind of, I felt like it demands you take your time with it. There's a lot of atmosphere. It's got that kind of creeping dread that comes in on page one and never really lets up. Um, I love it. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got maybe 20 pages left, but I, I'm, I think it's fantastic. I think a lot of people are really going to enjoy it. Uh, and I am also reading, uh, Silver Shamrock, who will be releasing the Five Turns of the Wheel, um, put out Midnight in the Pentagram a couple days ago. I'm a few stories into that. I just, you know, we since we haven't talked about Laurel Hightower enough, I read hers today, and it's <laughs> it, it, it's awesome. Um, and there's a lot more authors in that that I'm looking forward to getting to. Pat, how about you? Uh, the uh, writing in the writing in the dark by Tim Wagner. So it's. Mm. I feel like it's going to be one of those books where not even gener- like not even years from now where people are like, you want to learn the craft. This is right up there because often I'll hear people say, uh, you know, Stephen King's um, on writing, which I'm not knocking that book. It's a good one. But my personal opinion is there's there's some that that, that doesn't suit everyone for like the best one in the craft. It's a good book. I love it. But. I'm real interested to finally read uh, Richard Lehman's um, Writer's Journey. I think mm. that's what it is. When that comes out through Crossroad Press. Because um, Brian Keane boosts it up so much. Mm-hmm. and Hey, I'll take his word for it. Right. Um, <laughs> but Tim Wagner's been doing it for 30 years. The guy knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah. And you can you you can tell you can see it when in the in the pages, but that and Haley Piper's. I just started this uh, a little bit before we start talking. The Worm in His Kings. I got nothing else to add besides what Brennan said because it's just she's a fantastic writer, and the fact that Mary San Giovanni, 
uh, arguably the queen of cosmic horror, has a blurb on the cover. That's pretty mm-hmm. damn cool. And you know what's? Mm-hmm. I just saw this. This is neat. So uh, Mary has her words are just as heavy as Brian Keene. And um, Brian had, for those that don't know, the person that runs off on its press is Sam Kwiesnik. Her debut novella or novel, uh, novella? I think it's novella. Came out, novella. came out this year with a blurb on the cover by Brian Keene. Uh, within um, the same year, uh, the second book to come out with Sam's Press is a blurb by um, Mary San Giovanni. And um, I, I think that's kind of cool. That's kind of like a neat connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's they're really, awesome. They're great yeah, writers. They seem like really nice people, too. I've never yeah. met them, but their personas, they seem to be really nice people. Yeah, they, so they've been – when. The community needed leaders. They have been there, and yes, they have. <laughs> I've personally reached out to Mary. I, I wish I did, but as of right now, I mean, I, Brian knows who I am. We talk sometimes, but uh, I talk with Mary more, and she's just such a sweet person. She's very nice, very smart. She makes me feel not so smart, and that's not to <laughs> that's not to say anything <laughs> negative about her. It's just that once, yeah, I'm gonna stop there. I'm just gonna take myself a. Dip. <laughs> I'm just going to dig myself a hole. Um, I'm not cutting any of this out, by the way. No, no. <laughs> we've, we've done worse. We've done worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like with uh, an episode previously where uh, Brennan and uh, Cassie Daly, our guest host, and uh, our guest Nico Bell decided to team up on me for the whole episode and uh, point things out. So, Rhonda, you've been a much better guest than all three of those people combined. <laughs> see now i gotta go listen to that episode <laughs> nico bell oh nico bell i didn't want to keep throwing guests at you if you didn't know who they were but uh nico bell is um she's also in the rewind or die series and uh-huh, uh-huh. actually now that i'm thinking about it i think you would like her story it's called food fright it's full of killer food yes. literally yeah oh it's definitely it's on my list like that whole little series like i'm all yeah. over it <laughs> and she's opened up uh bakery shops where they have potato donuts i'm like okay first off i'm irish secondly i'm a fat boy no matter how skinny i might be one day where the hell are those potato donuts because i want food right i'm excited yes. about that <laughs> yay food yay food <laughs> um brennan you got anything else no. Ask the last question, which is Rhonda, where I'll can people follow you? If you want, though. <laughs> where can people follow you? Oh, so okay, since you know there's somebody with these fraudulent accounts on Instagram, I don't. Oh, I around. forgot all about yes, that. Yes, I don't that fool around Instagram a whole lot. Anyway, uh, so Twitter is always the best place to catch me, um, just because if I'm not lurking, I'm probably talking to you guys right um and so twitter at r jackson joseph um and i do have an amazon page um no where people can kind of go look at the rj joseph um lots of things any romance readers can go look at a couple of romance things under uh you know ronda uh ronda jackson joseph um you know i don't know it takes all kinds of i love romance too i have a lot of those books on my kindle app too i need to read (laughs) Sounds intriguing. I definitely would like to see the horror side versus the romance side. Oh, they are so opposite. They are like, they are 
So just to tell you just how opposite they are, I once sent a short story to Women's Day Romance. Like that's a huge market for romance shorts. I don't even know if they're still open. And to get a handwritten note from the editor is a huge thing because this is like one of the only of those markets that was open. And the editor goes, this was so well written, but it's just so dark. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but I don't write paranormal romance. That's usually the question that comes next. So do you write paranormal romance? I don't. They, the two shall never cross. <laughs> so it's almost literally reading like about something from somebody totally different. Um, so I guess the different names are totally appropriate. Um, so yeah, it, it wouldn't even, most people that read my heart, they wouldn't recognize anything of me in the romance writing. They kind of go, are you sure she wrote that? There was nothing crazy in it. <laughs> well, on that note, since I'm the master at segues, it's been great talking to you, Rhonda. Seriously, appreciate the time. Um, for those listening, we uh, encourage you to go check her out on Twitter, not Instagram. Currently has fake accounts. Not sure why someone's being a dick to Rhonda, but fuck you if you happen to listen to this. it's been Uh, great talking to you guys it's so much fun (laughs) it was really fun and we're here if you want to do this uh sometime next year okay i absolutely will let me write some more stuff though like i have something else to talk about (laughs) perfect Uh, brennan (laughs) you've been a mediocre co-host as always i've been a even less good uh host as always Uh, Rhonda, you've been a fantastic guest. And for all our listeners, thank you for listening. We hope that you continue through season one. Uh, Season one ends mid-December of 2020. Season two starts up in uh, mid-January of 2021. Who will that first guest be? You will find out. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving. Deadheads.